gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe here in this great hall of justice. Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. So what uh what is this place anyway? Is this some type of fancy DMV? Are you kidding? It's the Hall of Justice. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, bub. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. Welcome to another edition of the Hall of Justice. This is 349. We have a fun thing planned for next week, too, for episode 350. Is 50 a milestone or is it just on the hundreds? That's a question I'm wondering. Before we get to today's guest, a couple of updates and some stuff in the news. One of the things I posted on social media because I thought it was ridiculous. First, uh, Drew Barrymore, who was great in E.T., by the way, and Fever Pitch. I love that movie, Fever Pitch. Drew Barrymore has a talk show, and despite the fact that the writers are on strike, and I believe she's a member of SAG-AFTRA, she should be on strike, too. You want to find a loophole and say she's allowed to host a talk show, just like people are allowed to host a podcast? Okay, fine. But even still, what that means is the studio is going to have a show that should be preempted until the strikes are over. And then Bill Maher decided to do the exact same thing. So if they're in SAG-AFTRA, all I would say to Fran Drescher, revoke their membership. Get them out. They are scabs. And creating content in this situation is making the situation harder. Now, what I do not understand, and I think the studios are naive in, in testing the resolve of the people on strike, both the writers and the actors, is there is a glutton of content. We've talked about this recently on other episodes. Star Wars Ahsoka is out. Uh, this Gen V, the spinoff from The Boys, is out. Season 2 of Reacher is coming out. Winning Time, that fantastic show about the Los Angeles Lakers, is out. I did something cool about that show over on Sports with Friends you might want to check out. If you like that show, Reservation Dogs, What We Do in the Shadows, The After Party came out, The Morning Show came out. And you say, well, these streaming services are trying to keep your business. The studios are going into what has been done before the strikes. Eventually, that well is going to run dry. I'll give you an example. I just resubscribed to Paramount Plus. I had it for a little bit. I got rid of it. And this time there was a promotion, so it was like 60 bucks for the whole year. And I'm a sports fan, because I'm a sports caster, and I'm a big fan of Arsenal. This is my third season following Arsenal, and the Champions League is exclusive to Paramount+. Plus. So I was going to have to watch it somehow. Now that I have it, I'll watch season seven of Billions. I wasn't going to pay for Billions. I wasn't going to pay Billions for Billions. I just wasn't going to do it. 
But these services are, keep getting you. Netflix has all these sports documentaries out that show sex education is great. And then there's things that I didn't even know about, and now I'm catching up. Class of 09, I want to see. There's a new Castlevania show. I recently found the IT crowd. Rick and Morty has a new season coming. Apple TV Plus is releasing Physical. We told you about The Morning Show. Harley Quinn has a new episode, a new season out. Archer has a new season out. Family Guy has a new season out. Well, these episodes were all recorded and written before the strike. That's how animation gets done. But you're throwing everything at them. Right now, there is a glutton of content. We are not bereft of anything. And what these talk show hosts are doing, Drew Barrymore and Bill Maher, is they're making it even harder. I feel for the actors. I really do. I feel for the writers. They've been on strike longer. And to clarify, I'm in SAG-AFTRA, but I'm not on strike because my division with SAG-AFTRA is radio. I work for iHeartMedia. I've made no secret about that. And that's not part of that strike. But I've joined the picket lines. I believe in what they're doing. And they are making it harder and harder and harder. Now, today's guest, for example, David Hayter, we talked about the impending strike. And we talked about, would we do the interview at this Comic-Con at Fan Expo Philadelphia? Or would we exchange contact info and do the podcast in a studio? And we realized that as the strike was approaching, he's part of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA. So we said, well, let's record this now. Because we don't know when, and I'm not holding it forever. I just, I'm disappointed in people like Drew Barrymore and Bill Maher. Both shows I don't watch. There's another podcast out. Uh, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen Colbert, Seth Meyers, and John Oliver. I'm a huge John Oliver fan. And the podcast is pretty good. And what they're trying to do is raise money to pay their staffs. I thought that was cool. Jimmy Fallon's been in the news I'm not touching that on this podcast with a 10-foot pole. In the next couple of weeks, we are going to continue to provide content on the show because there's content to talk about. The show My Adventures with Superman just completed season one. Well, before they get to season two, we don't know how much has been written of season two and what was recorded and what can be animated because the animators aren't on strike. So My Adventures with Superman, Josie Campbell who's been on this podcast before, is going to join us next week. And we're going to talk about that. And then I think the week after is this, the finale of Ahsoka, and we have J.C. Reifenberg coming back. If the studios keep churning out content, we are going to continue to review it. But it feels weird. It feels real weird. I want everything back to normal, and I want these people to get paid. But as long as there are people braving the heat to walk a picket line, there shouldn't be talk shows like... The Bill Maher Show and the Drew Barrymore Show. David Hayter is a phenomenal person. Uh, he is a voiceover artist. Uh, in the Metal Gear video game series, he was Solid Snake and Naked Snake. And he is notably, he's been in a, a lot of anime. Fushigi Yugi. He was the voice of Tamahome in the English version. He's also in the Castle of Cagliostro. He's done a ton of anime and video games. But he's also Captain America in what I consider the defining series in the history of Spider-Man, the Spider-Man animated series from the 1990s. 
He was Captain America. David Hayter. We talk about that. He was also King Shark in the Flash TV show, which is pretty stinking remarkable. And we talk about that in the podcast. And then there's his writing. He has written three of the best superhero movies of all time. In 2000, he is a screenwriter for X-Men. In 2003, he was a screenwriter for X2. And in 2009, he was a screenwriter for Watchmen. We talk about all of it. It's not the longest episode we've ever had of this show, but let me just tell you, it is packed, packed with great content. David Hayter, you could do a whole episode just on what he's written. He's also He also wrote Lost in Oz, The Scorpion King, Wolves, A Christmas Horror Story. He's written a bunch of things. He was in Major Dad, but the big one, The Flash. He was in four episodes as the voice of King Shark. He's Captain America in the Spider-Man series. The best Spider-Man series. Which you can see on Disney+. Plus. Let's take a moment and honor the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation with our promo. And then we'll hear from David Hayter from Fan Expo Philadelphia 2023. People often ask me, how do I keep motivated? And uh, how do I keep my spirits up? Well, things are, are moving forward instead of backwards. I think every neuroscientist in the world, if you lined them all up and asked them the same question, can the spinal cord be repaired, they'd say yes. That is the voice of Christopher Reeve. Whether this is your first time ever hearing the Hall of Justice or you've listened to over 300 of the episodes that we've put together since this podcast was created in 2015, the superhero genre owes a great deal to the role Christopher Reed played as Superman. Partnering with the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation is an honor for the Hall of Justice podcast. In 1995... The accomplished actor was paralyzed after being thrown from a horse during an equestrian competition. After his accident, he lobbied for spinal injury research, and that led the man who once played Superman to the foundation that bears his name. Here's the origin story from the foundation's CEO, Maggie Goldberg. So when Christopher Reeve was injured in 1995, he was looking at all of the other organizations in the country and really around the world. Um, and there weren't that many that were searching for cures and treatments for spinal cord injury. And what he loved about our organization at the time, which was the American Paralysis Association, is that we were funding research. We, we, our mission and sort of theme was considered a laboratory without walls. We wanted to fund the best research no matter where it was in the world. And one of the other parts of the mission was bringing researchers together and to share information, which wasn't really something that was done at the time. Researchers you know, can be very competitive. They hold their information close to the best. So I think that's what really drew him um, most to this organization. The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation is dedicated to curing spinal cord injury by advancing innovative research and improving the quality of life 
for individuals and families impacted by paralysis. We are on the cusp of a new era in spinal cord injury where real cures are within reach. The Reeve Foundation serves as a catalyst at this critical moment, uniting academics, scientists, and industry in a new model of collaboration. The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation is really the only national paralysis foundation focused on a dual mission. Today's care, tomorrow's cure. We are searching for cures and treatments for spinal cord injury, paralysis caused by spinal cord injury, but we also provide services and programs for people impacted by all types of mobility impairments. So when you think about paralysis, it's not just spinal cord injury, it's stroke, ALS, MS, um, in addition to spinal cord injury. And we're here to really help people navigate their journey through paralysis, whether or not they were diagnosed or impacted from you know, yesterday, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. This partnership is not the only tie Christopher Reeve has had with this podcast, even though it was created 11 years after his passing in 2004. In the 1970s at Juilliard, Christopher Reeve was good friends with Kevin Conroy. Little did they know then that while Christopher Reeve would be the embodiment of Superman, Kevin Conroy would be known as the voice of Batman. And Kevin was kind enough to come on this podcast during his illustrious career five times. Tragically, Dana Reeve passed away in 2006, and the foundation was renamed the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. I asked CEO Maggie Goldberg how listeners of the Hall of Justice podcast can participate and help the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. There are many ways to get involved. The easiest is to go to our website at ChristopherReeve.org. You can also follow us on social media. Our handle is at Reeve Foundation. Um, there, you could become an advocate. You can run a marathon and join Team Reeve. You can become a fundraiser. You can help us spread the word. You can become a volunteer. All of that is outlined at ChristopherReeve.org and we invite you to become part of our family. In the weeks and months to come, we are going to organize some walks and some activities that can raise money for the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. But for now, if you are hearing this for the first time, the fifth time, or the tenth time, go to ChristopherReeve.org, get the newsletter, and find resources in your area. I'd like to think that if we had this podcast in the time that Christopher Reeve was alive, he'd want to be a part of it. He'd want to be a part of the show he'd want us to spread the word about this foundation thanks to you the listeners we are going to do that i think in order to accomplish something or somebody has to go out there and put out a vision that makes it seem more real more tangible You know, we have limited time, but I, I cannot ignore the fact that you are beyond engaging with everyone that comes up to you. And I've seen a lot of these panels and celebrity meet and greets. You know, people are nice. Nobody's, no one's an asshole. Sure. But like, you listen to what they're saying and you have these engaging conversations. That's a skill. That's something that you've developed. And oh, you've already yeah. said yes to the podcast. So again, we're not kissing your ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, no. Well, look, I think it's a, a little outrageous to ask people to pay money for your autograph. I, you know, I always felt weird about it. And I feel like the my friend Phil Lamar, who's a legendary voice actor, he told me... Veteran of this podcast. Yeah, he was like, the autograph is just the receipt for the experience, right? It's to show that we met and we hung out. And so, you know, I really took that to heart. And I feel like if, if they're putting up their good money, they're waiting in line and they're so, they're so kind and they're so supportive, um, I want to, you know, relate to them on a human level. And I want to make sure that they walk away feeling like they were seen and heard. And I mean, that's the most important thing for everybody, I, I think. And why it doesn't—it doesn't cost me anything. It's—it's it's remarkable. Um, let's hit some some highlights here in limited time. Uh, I don't know how I don't start this with X Men. Okay. Uh, when you look back at those films, what goes through your mind? <laughs> and just the idea of where they stand and what that established in the whole genre. Right. It's a loaded question, but. Holy fuck, those are two great movies. Thank you, my friend. That's very kind of you. Um, what do I feel when I watch them? Well, I feel the return of all the trauma that went into making them. And, um, you know, I, I was just saying uh, to somebody backstage that, you know, the Fox studio did not believe in the first movie and didn't think it was going to, thought it was going to be a disaster. And so it was really stressful and, and um, uh, difficult to make. But... Uh, our cast was so good, and it was done with a lot of love, and, and a lot of that love came from my love of, of the comic books, of Chris Claremont and John Byrne's run on X-Men. Um, so I was really happy that people were moved by the movies, that they, they really loved them. What was really important to me was that we didn't make, my apologies to it, but that we didn't make Batman and Robin, that we made a movie that took the X-Men as seriously as the fans take it. And I think that that was the sort of the secret element that allow, that, that, that opened the door to comic book movies and made the studios understand that these are real stories, real characters, and that people love them. And so now obviously it's gone crazy and exploded, but, um, but it was nice to be sort of at the, at, the, at the vanguard of all that. How much did you pull, maybe consciously or subconsciously, from the animated show. Uh, we've done so much uh, on this podcast with the cast and crew of that show, and what they loved was so many people who screw up with that saw the films and thought they were that, that, that you had seen, that the, the, the writing that you had seen that show. That's not entirely accurate. Um, now, I, it's terrible to say, I didn't really watch that show. But that show, I mean, I have since, um, and that show drew from the same comic book stories that I drew from. So we were working from the same source material. Um, so it wasn't a huge influence on me, but the director, Brian Singer, he watched every episode. He didn't read any of the comic books. So his perspective really came from the cartoon. My perspective came from the comic books. And then together, hopefully, it, it made something that spoke to the fans. Okay, last thing on X-Men. Uh, do you laugh now? that the absolute refusal to have the comic book costumes, yet now, if Superman loses his underwear, social media goes freaking bananas, that back then you couldn't do a comic, like Wolverine couldn't be blue and yellow, yeah. but now 
if he's not blue and yellow, there's, there'll be an outcry. Right. A mutiny. Well, it's funny, uh, a mutant mutiny. Um, it's funny yeah, because... That was not, no pun intended. No, but no, 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 I just did that on my own. That's professional writing. Um, <laughs> they, uh, you know, the internet was, it was the early days of the internet, um, and uh, we got a bunch of people complaining in advance of the movie that we weren't using the blue and yellow Wolverine, that we were using the black leather costumes. But, you know, the director was just like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why is Wolverine the only one who wears a mask? Like, it just makes no sense. So their costumes have to be practical. And then when the movie came out, all the comic books changed and used the black outfits. And um, so, I, you know, I felt then, and I, as I feel now, don't listen to the internet too much. I'm as big a comic book fan as anybody. If I feel like Superman's better with no underwear, then I'm going to give it a try. And there'll be people who love it. There'll be people who hate it. You can't make everybody happy. Um, but I do try to, any adaptation, I try to make it feel as true to the original um, source material as possible. But when you're putting something on film, when you're shooting an actor in that costume, it looks very different than it does when it's shaded in this beautiful drawing and whatever. And so you have to really make sure you don't look ridiculous. And, and so that's a consideration as well. They're, they're great films. Um, Watchmen. Yeah. Uh, it feels like if I pause parts of that movie, I could find the page in the comic book and match it. Yeah. It's not a word-for-word -word interpretation, but it is so true to the source material. Your thoughts on Watchmen? I promise limited follow-ups because I have a lot. I'm trying to get. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, well, I, 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 that was my intention. I mean, the point is, to me, Watchmen was already one of the greatest movies of all time. It was storyboarded. It was like not only is the artwork amazing, but the artwork, every single frame of that artwork is saying something ironic compared to what the dialogue is in that frame. Like, I mean, it's incredible, every single thing. So I wanted every frame to be reflective of the comic book panels. And uh, Zach ultimately didn't do exactly that, but there's a lot of it that, that just naturally falls into place with the, with the storytelling. Um, but the goal, was not to do something different from Watchmen. As far as I was concerned, that's, and I am still concerned, it's one of the greatest novels ever written. Uh, it's on the Time Magazine 100 Greatest Novels of the 20th Century list. And so the idea was to bring that story as truly as possible to the widest possible audience, to people who had never read a comic book, would never read a comic book. So, um, you know, to that extent, uh, uh, I was pretty happy with, um, with what, what Zach was able to pull off. What was your impression of the miniseries that came out a couple of years ago? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm, my field is psychiatry. I don't do impressions. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. I like the, what I was like your, the show quite what a bit. What was your opinion? <laughs> I, li <laughs> I liked Always fixing my syntax. That's, I, I like this. <laughs> I was quoting Airplane 2. Um, uh, I, I like the show a lot. I, like, I would have been terrified to try to change Watchmen. Um, but I thought a lot of respectful what, of the source material. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but I think what they did was respectful of the source yeah. material. I think there were some really brilliant ideas. The the episode where uh, Regina King is reliving her grandfather's memories is one of the most beautiful episodes of television I ever saw. So yeah, I was really impressed. And I loved Jeremy Irons as Ozymandias, and um, uh, yeah, I, th I thought thought they knocked it out of the park. You've done so much voice work, uh, but two are very genre specific. Uh, let's do first Captain America. <laughs> right. Uh, I've always said that interpretation of Spider-Man is the best interpretation in 
television or movies. Oh, wow. I, I, it is so true to the, the, the character and the heart of it. Uh, you played it in the later seasons, but they did Secret Wars, they did the MCU. Like, they did. It was the Amazing. beginning of everything that you're seeing now. Yeah. And you were there at that beginning. We had John Semper, we had Christopher Daniel Barnes on oh, this podcast. So like, these are, so, they, to me, that show is, is, is a key moment and you played a key role in it. Well, I was very fortunate. I, uh, that was my first recurring character. I got to be Captain America. I got to say, come on team, let's win one for democracy. Uh, so, and I believe I'm the first Canadian Captain America in film history. So, um, no, I love doing that show. I got to work with Ed Asner and Paul Winfield and Chris Barnes and just these incredible actors. And um, so, uh, yeah, that was a dream uh, project for me. And you know, I just I just came. I was just trying to keep up. I didn't I didn't have anything to do with the creative, really. And lastly, uh, King Shark yeah. in the in the Flash. Where's the uh, Flash? How much fun? Uh, did you ever visit the set? Did you do that in a booth? I would imagine once COVID hit, all of voice work is done in people's closets. Uh, tell me about King Shark. Yeah, that was just, I just auditioned for Oh, that. no, no, as King Shark. No. Oh, yeah, I can't. I can't because the voice will blow out my my. <laughs> and you wouldn't be able to talk to these fine people. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I just auditioned for it. I thought it'd be cool to play, and I did sort of like, you know, I did this voice, and I you know did like bull sounds and stuff like that and um yeah well i can't do it for long but um uh and so they cast me and I, it was such you know it's, it's a badass role to play i was watching the show i was watching the flash with my daughter who was like you know eight or nine at the time and uh so it was really really fun but sadly i did all my recording in a booth in la and i never got to visit the set on um in in vancouver but but I have since met a number of the actors here at these Comic Cons and tell them I'm King Shark and so we hang out and it's it's pretty fun. But Gets you in all the parties. Yeah, but it's a badass. Plus I knew they were doing this giant episode where King Shark was going to fight Gorilla Grodd and I was like, God, I hope I beat Gorilla Grodd and then I did. So uh, proving that I was the ultimate apex predator. You know, that show just ended and it really was a, a, a key part of this genre. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on network television to have the crossovers and the cast and the costumes, everything that came with it, uh, it's a really, it was a tentpole moment. Though, with streaming services, they're not gonna have something else like it. Right. So it really was the end of, of an era. And again, it's another thing that you played a role in, but that, that literally is a key part of the history of this, this fandom that we all love. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been part of this fandom since I was three years old, I've been reading comic books my entire life. I always loved them. They, these worlds were always real to me. And um, that love uh, was strong enough to, to create a career. And, and I just wanted to project that to other people, to future generations. And I have been extraordinarily fortunate to be able to reach people on, on a global level and sort of tell them how great comic books are and how proud they should be to be a nerd, you know? You're doing a great job at it. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, congratulations on all your success, and let's do this again in a much quieter setting. Sounds good. What? David Hayter, folks. We covered as much as we possibly could before they were Comic-Con organizers trying to pry me away from it. We'll have him on again, and we'll talk about all the same things, just in greater length. Next week, Josie Campbell. 
She is the executive producer of My Adventures with Superman, the new animated series that was on Cartoon Network, Adult Swim. I'm not really sure that show fit on Adult Swim. I saw it on Max, and I thought it was stinking great. It's very unique. We'll look forward to talking to Josie about my adventures with Superman. Then, the week after, Star Wars, Ahsoka. We'll have another Star Wars episode. And I hope you took what I said at the beginning of the show to heart, and I'm supportive of the actors, the writers, everyone that is fighting for their fair share. We'll see you next week in the Hall of Justice.